to the Learning 3.0 podcast. I'm Rustika Lamb from Bloom, and in each episode, I chat to learning and technology thought leaders and how to support business performance through people performance. In this episode, I interview Nigel Payne, who's the co-presenter of Learning Now TV and From Scratch podcast, and is also an advisory board member at Penn University's CLO doctoral program. He's the author of The Learning Challenge, Building Leadership Development Programs That Work, and Workplace Learning, How to Build a Culture of Continuous Employee Development. Nigel's been involved in corporate learning for over 20 years. He's produced software and award-winning multimedia materials, and has offered development and support to both public and private sector companies, both large and small. As head of the BBC's Learning and Development Operation, he led the creation of a brand new onboarding program, a comprehensive leadership scheme for over 6,000 staff, and a state-of-art informal learning and knowledge-sharing network. He left BBC to start his own company that is focused on building more effective workplaces by promoting learning, creativity, innovation, and values-based leadership, and the link between them. He speaks at conferences, leads workshops, and works with companies in Europe, Brazil, Australia, and the United States. He's a well-known figure here in New Zealand, and I've really enjoyed this interview with him. So, Nigel, welcome to the Learning 3.0 podcast. It's fantastic to be talking to you again. Thank you, Rustika. It's a long time. <laughs> it's at least a year since I last spoke to you. I know, I know. And we're just having a chat, weren't we, on um, you've got family down here and you haven't seen them for such a long time and you're trying to get back and we're keeping you out. And <laughs> Exactly. I'm banging on the door. Let me in. <laughs> let me in, let me in little pig. <laughs> Excellent. So um, we were talking about uh, this topic today is about is the LMS dead, which is quite an interesting topic given what we've been through with COVID and the rush to get a lot of face-to-face training online. I've talked to quite a few companies who have just, that's all been their business and, and how do they do that? So it is quite an interesting topic given the light of COVID. So, and like me, uh, we've been around for a while and I thought maybe it would be really awesome to get your perspective on how you've seen the evolution of the LMS historically. Well, I've been around since um, I think before LMS has even existed. So I'm certainly embarrassed to admit that. <laughs> and uh, I've watched the move from being the absolute miracle solution that is going to solve every problem through to the absolute worst thing you could possibly have that is going to destroy learning and organizations through to something in between those two extremes. So it really has been a kind of roller coaster journey with LMSs. And uh, the only thing that's been constant is that the price has gone up and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, so has the number of customers. And, uh, I was talking to one of the very big, largest LMS providers recently, and they were saying that they've met targets this year faster than they've ever met. Mm -hmm. So the idea that the LMS is dead, I think is slightly exaggerated. They are not (laughs) dead. It's just we have more choice now. That Mm -hmm. That's horses for courses. And different organizations of different sizes with different needs make different choices. Hey, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what about um, a lot of people talk about, you know, there's the, you know, now LXPs and there's inter- intelligent learning platforms, et cetera. Do you think that's a, a sort of a move to get away from the terminology of LMS? Because maybe it's a terminology issue, not actually a technology issue. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Fosway uh, have decided to try and 
dump the term LXP because it's so confusing about what is an LMS and what is an LXP, particularly as most LMSs rebrand themselves as LXPs and, and LXPs <laughs> take on more functionality. It's ridiculous. So they talk about specialist platforms and generalist platforms. And that's true too. There are those pieces of software that do one thing really well, like they bring AI into learning and those that manage the whole thing and their platforms. So yes, I think that it is. The LXP is a new shiny thing. Josh Burson coined the term learning experience platform. It's quite a nice term and it says something about the emphasis. And to me, it's about where you put your money in a sense. You either put it in the back end and you have a really good management and data system that pours data out at the back and doesn't maybe spend as much time as it might do at the front end on the user experience. The LXP focuses greatly on the quality of the user experience and what comes out the back end is maybe less analytic, less complex than coming out of an LMS. But the two are coming together. LXPs are getting way better at the data analytics and LMSs are getting way better at the front end. And that's why there is constant overlapping of the badging. So mm-hmm. essentially for a user, when people say, I think I should look for an LXP or do you think I should go for an LMX? I just say, look at the products. Look yeah. at what they offer and see what you need and what products meet your needs. Don't go in with an assumption that it's got to be this or it's got to be that. There is mm. so much variety, so much on the market. Do your due diligence and mm. buy what's appropriate for you. And in some ways, forget about the badges. Absolutely. Yeah, when I saw the term LXP came out, I had a look at a couple of platforms or specialist platforms. And I thought, this is just a marketing term. Like, what's going on here? So, And it is confusing for people where their it day is. job is to run learning for a business. They don't have time to put their head up and go and look at you know one of the 700 that are around to go and work that out. So, No, they don't. And places like Duchibo, products like Duchibo. Duchibo was a, quite proud to call itself an LMS. Now it's an LXP. And people go, what happened? What? Nothing <laughs> happened. Nothing happened. It marketing. just, yeah, it's marketing. It's marketing. It yeah. really is marketing. If you want to know about Dachibo, go look at the product. Yeah. Don't look at the badges. <laughs> Don't look at the badges. <laughs> That's right. So um, you refer to the Fosway. They do some really good reports. I haven't seen that they one. do. It talks about the... The latest one. It's the latest nine-grid report on um, learning systems, basically. Okay. It's, yeah. It came out uh, about three months ago, two months ago. It's free. You can download it. Everyone should go to fosway.co.uk and it's the nine grid on learning. It's right on their front page. Have a look because what they do is they look at products and they place them in terms of their cost, historic cost, the size, whether they're big gorillas in the market or little newcomers and upstarts, and they look at the level of innovation. And essentially, they don't make any judgment and say, this is better than that. They say, these are the top products. Any one of these may or may not meet your needs. Go explore. So it's actually, if you were saying about 700, if you want to get down to 20 or 30 to start Mm -hmm. your exploration, go to Fosway. And they do not take money from suppliers. They're not, you can't buy your way onto the nine grid. It's based on their market penetration. And that's also important. Don't believe necessarily these wonderfully authoritative white papers who tell you that the best one on the market is X. Usually 
some money is changing hands somewhere along the track. He said cynically, without any proof. <laughs> well, I'm a bit cynical like this too. And I will call out finances online and Capterra. The number of people I talk to who look at that and go, oh, that, that's on the list, so we, that must be a good one. So it's a payment model. So, you know, don't yes. some of the best ones I know, nowhere near that because I don't pay the money to them. So, yeah, yes, uh, exactly. it's great and that it is a research analyst, so I really rate them. So... That's great. Yes. I tell you, it's interesting. I'm doing my master's of future technologies. So I've talked about sort of historically where the LMS has been. As part of that, I was, look, I was looking at sort of where the future of learning tech was going. And some of those early LMSs, like you know, the previous versions of Cornerstone, some total, they were around in the late 90s. They were sort of those early sort of LMSs that came out. And there's a new foundation called Velocity Foundation, and Velocity Foundation have selected 14 tech providers, so HR tech providers, sort of end-to-end from, and it's basically about job creation, job learning, et cetera. So these 14 vendors are in this Velocity Foundation. And very interesting, those two that were at the beginning of the 90s are the two LMSs that are actually in this Velocity Foundation. So it's quite interesting to see the history of these people and these companies and what's happening and sort of what... And how they sustain themselves. Yes. So who would have believed that Skillsoft would have filed for bankruptcy, for example? Exactly. But it has. And yet Cornerstone has been there, chose its name very carefully. It's been there as a cornerstone (laughs) for as long as I can remember. So they must be doing something right. So all these people who rubbish the old traditional leviathans are making a mistake because in some institutions and for some good reasons, they may be the only product that can really meet the needs. And what I always say to people is often the poor people in R&D do not make the call. It's often the IT or the organization. If you've got enterprise software and along with it comes an LMS, it's very hard to fight what you're being told you're going to get in favor of some sort of abstract, better product. I always say to people, suck it up. If they say it's got to be Oracle, it's got to be SAP, go with it. Go with the flow and make it work for you. Don't hold out and have a real fight in the organization, which you'll probably lose anyway, to get something that isn't part of it. Because ultimately, it's about enterprise software, running the enterprise. And then within that, it's about talent. It's about how you manage talent. And within all of those, there is learning, but that's not the whole gamut of talent, nor the whole gamut of enterprise software. So you need to be realistic. And I would argue you can make anything work well for you. And now with so much APIs around, you can API stuff in. And if not, you can set up a separate system that only links across, you know, batch processes across. So there are ways around everything. Now, life is much, much easier with technology than it's ever been before. And so, you know, don't despair. This is not something to despair about. It's something to make the best of. And Mm -hmm. to have some way of gathering your data, managing the process, and automating it. There's a very good paper from Loop. That's Loop with three O's. They've just written a paper on automation and saying, that's the focus. It should be about automation. What can you do that you can take away the drudgery and allow you to focus on the big stuff and the important stuff. There's a lot of that, I think, inherent in the whole LMX, LMS complex and family of products. It's taking away grunt work. Yeah. And when I was in the BBC, we used to do a lot of data and analytics on Excel spreadsheets, I'm embarrassed to say, because mm-hmm. we didn't have the stuff coming off 
in the way that we could handle. So it was taken onto an Excel spreadsheet and then processed. So we got there in the end. But now that would be insane. I would say to anybody, don't even think about that for a second. You are a button that you can push. And it is all about getting the data, drawing the conclusions and making the business better. It's not about making L&D look neat and tidy or getting nice, neat graphs for L&D. It's about the business. And data comes in at such a rate that you need to have it automated. You cannot manage that manually anymore. It's just not possible. No. It's really interesting. Have you heard of the torrents? They have an XAPI cohort every year and basically yes. hands-on do a project on XAPI. Yes. So I signed up a couple of years ago. I only got halfway through. Signed up again. What I found really interesting, it wasn't till session three that we, they started to talk about how you can send data from other sources. Because of the first two, it's like, oh, how can we track what someone's doing in Storyline or Captivate? I'm going, no, yeah. no, no. We're at the point now where we need to be sending data from business systems. Like, is my yeah. salesperson behind? What do they need? My new manager just actually needs a new hire. What do they need? So it's taking these other systems and pushing data from other systems, not just your LMS and not just your learning. So I think it comes back to that focus of where L&D people are thinking about. Think big, don't think narrow. And before you start collecting all sorts of new data, look at what data is in the organisation. Organisations are swamped in data. Yes. And much of that can be turned around into learning data. The sales, when I was working with an insurance company in the US, and what they found was that they were losing sales. They had loads of data, who was losing it, why they were losing it. Instead of punishing the staff, what they did was took a detailed look at the data. And what it was showing was that there were knowledge deficits in certain of the key products. Hey, there's a job for L&D. So they used that data to fine-tune some of the development work with those teams. Guess what? They fixed it. So they didn't gather any of that data. They just got hold of it and interpreted it with an L&D lens. Not yes. with a, you know, whatever other lens, marketing lens or a finance lens. And yes. that's the important thing. You're quite mm. right. You're absolutely mm. spot on. I was listening to a podcast on the way in this morning and it was a woman called Trish from the States. Like she's obviously well-known in data analytics. Trish Shule. Yes, yeah. yeah. David um, James was interviewing her and she made a really nice comment. She said, we don't need to be data scientists. We need to be data citizens. So we need to understand what's out there. We don't need to go and do it and be one because we're people people usually, but become a data citizen. And I really liked that term. I think that's awesome. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching. She's a great person. She's right. She's a real techie. Trish is brilliant, I think, at, at understanding and manipulating data. But she also understands that the best thing she can do is leave people with the confidence to manage it, use people like her to do the grant work and feel comfortable in that world. So I call it being data savvy, not data Mm. scientist. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to be data savvy and not be afraid of it. And still too many people shy away when they see the numbers. That's not what you've got to be. And in the current climate, how can you be a serious performer in L&D and shy away from data? One way or another, you've got to embrace it. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, the beginning where people thought they could run things without using a computer. Maybe they did for a couple of years. Where are they now? (laughs) That's what I would ask. And just the same with data. You know, where will that in two years' time, four years' time, we'll look back and go, how could people even imagine that? That's ridiculous. (laughs) But indeed it is ridiculous. Trish is right. (laughs) Absolutely. So come back to like this year, 2020 and the pandemic, how do you think EdTech and, and LMS generally has changed, if at all? What we've seen is a massive ramp up in sales. So what you've found is that if you look at it 
And I suppose with great admiration, Microsoft has been the, the overall winner, I think, you know, the, the, with agree. Teams. Yeah. And that's where we're going to see a shift, that Microsoft are going to get into learning in a big way because they've seen how they can get into work at the heart of work and teams. And they know that learning isn't, when they do that, learning isn't far away. So I think watch Microsoft. I think they're going to be a big winner in all of this. The LXPs have won as well because people want kind of human-centered, focused, informal, social, not big programs kind of learning. And LSPs, LXPs come up with that very, very well. I suggested content, people reading something, looking at a video. The ones that have lost out, those organizations thought they could stuff massive online courses down people's throats have come unstuck because that in the circumstances that people found themselves they wanted solutions to immediate problems and they wanted to be reassured that they could do their job or continue to do their job and have their problems solved that were preventing them what they didn't want was to have big chunks of stuff that took too much time that they couldn't focus on for only good reason being that they appeared to have time. And I heard that from a lot of people saying, oh, we're, we're really shoveling out the courses, Nigel, because people have got time now. And that is the wrong attitude and the wrong way to do it. And I think any products that were sitting on the back of that came off very badly. So I think there is a realignment. I think there's definitely been a realignment. And the realignment is about engaging learning in the flow of work much, much more. Learning that can help you get stuff done and then learning that can help people deal with the kind of complexity that they've had to deal with. So it's almost at both extremes. Fixing the stuff that you need fixing today, being big enough and complex enough to be able to think through some of the challenges of tomorrow. And compliance doesn't really cut it in, in the face of all of that. Compliance as and when, compliance in a different kind of way. So I think conventional approaches to L&D have come badly unstuck. Mm. Radical realignment, community building, high touch, focus on well-being, all of that stuff has done incredibly well and will never go back to being the same. I'm maybe madly optimistic or stupidly optimistic, but I really hope we don't slip back into bad old habits because we've proved yeah. that when push comes to shove, they don't work. Mm -hmm. And when push comes to shove, people can do a lot more for themselves, know how to do more than we ever gave them credit for. And that putting people in great big blocks and saying all of you have to is the wrong way. It's about what individuals need to mm -hmm. cope day to be efficient and to make a contribution. And the vast majority of people at work, COVID or no COVID, want to feel that they're useful and making a difference. And any blockages that can be removed are paid back enormously in terms of engagement and commitment. So I really think it is a watershed for L&D and woe betide people who don't listen to that, you know, mm. just think it's temporary, that they can go back, that it's all going to be face-to-face -face training that uh, compliance will be loved once more. I, I, don't think so. I don't think so. So it's interesting you mentioned that in the flow of work, because again, as part of one of my papers and assignments, I sort of did a bit of research around that. And when I started looking, again, it, was, it seemed to be a Josh Burson coined phrase back in 2018. When you look at the hashtag on LinkedIn, very few followers. And I think there's a lot of talk about it, but I wonder if people haven't made the connection between in the flow of work and data. So that actually there's a, that connection because to deliver in the flow of work, you're going to need systems that can do that. And you're going to need data and connections APIs to those to push it out. 
Yeah, it's complex. It sounds easy, but it's actually very complex. The first coining was really the Internet Time Group, Jay Cross and Harold Jarkey in maybe 2012. They talked about work is learning and learning is work. Mm -hmm. And that was one of their big themes, and it still is, really. Jarkey still talks about it. Charles Jennings talks about it. So Burson picked up the flow of work, but the essence of it was work is learning and learning is work. And that was where that came from. And I think inevitably that's what we want to do. We need to have an indecipherable link between work and learning. So you do not know when you're learning and you do not know when you're working because they are one and the same thing. But as you said, and I agree, it is much more complex, requires analytics, it probably requires AI, and it requires a lot of data. Because Mm -hmm. whatever is helping you needs to know why you're stuck, where you're stuck, and what's going on. And you need awareness. Mm -hmm. It's not just a case of looking through a database. (laughs) That's not going to work. That's back to LMSs. So it is complex. But that doesn't mean it's not doable. And doesn't mean that it isn't revolutionary in its impact and import. Mm. I was thinking the other day, like, given how much like, with the Apple Watches, and I know that you're an Apple fan, all the data that's actually always around us, um, what we search on on our computers, I was thinking from a suicide or depression type focus. Imagine if you could see what people like, actually collect the data. What are people searching for? What's their mood? What's their this? What's their that? And collecting it into like, okay, warning sign, risk, risk. It's that. And then someone said to me, well, actually, there is something out there like that, that it's collecting, you know, sort of information to actually then put up alerts for people's carers, if you like. So again, it's called Google. They're collecting it all. (laughs) In Facebook, that's right. What am I looking at? What time is it, risk factors? But yeah, it's what we're saying, that same philosophy around uh, learning in the flow of work. Now, Cross and his colleague, because Jay's passed away, hasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They wrote a book, didn't they, on this? Uh, He wrote a book called Informal Learning. Informal learning. Well, that was the first. Yeah, again, I don't like the term informal learning because then you start arguing about what's formal and what's informal and what's half formal and not formal. I prefer social learning, but essentially that's what it is. It's about social and it's learning informally with colleagues when you want to in a social kind of environment. That's Mm. And I think that's very important. That's all part of it as well, that if I ask you for help, that's me getting a bit of learning in the flow of work because I'm saying... Rasik, how do you do that? And you say, well, this is how you do it. And if you can imagine that it's not always having to ask you, but there's some way of the machine responding to me and saying, you're stuck here, this is how you deal with it. Mm -hmm. Or you seem to need to know this, or to be able to do that more effectively, you need to go up to this level. And everything is trending towards that. Or, you know, our devices, Apple have just released iOS 14, and there's more automation, more attempting to understand what you're trying to do and help you along with it. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You know, I could throttle Siri when it tries to help me when I don't want it to help me. And then when when I want it to help me, it doesn't give me the answer. But there are some clever, clever things built in. And I was watching the documentary called The Social Dilemma, which is about the dangers of social media and the way in which they kind of plan our lives for us and try to drive us down particular paths in order to sell advertising to us. And some of it is political advertising. Advertising. So there's some dodgy aspects. But the guy said, you know, I pick up my phone, I press a button and a car is at my door in three minutes. That is magic. Why would I ever want to go away from that? And that's what we expect in our day-to-day life. We want the same in our learning. I want to be able to press a button and the right stuff turns up at the right moment without any effort on my part. And 
it's complex underneath, but I don't need to ever see that. And that's where we're headed, I think. And the idea that people aren't influenced by the technology they use in their everyday life, and that doesn't impact on the way they learn, is utterly absurd. Of mm. course it's impacted. Mm. Very definitely it's impacted. So you're quite connected with, you know, in the L&D technology space. Are these people that are driving the development of learning technology, are they are they making those side connections out into everyday life technology and, and actually bringing that back? Have you seen that level of thinking? Yeah, I yeah. certainly have. Yes, I, and I think uh, a lot of people, a lot of companies are doing that. A lot of companies are setting their products against what the standards are in the world outside. You know, I'm working with a company that produces mentoring software and their benchmarking is entirely within the social environment. This is where you make friends, connect and all that stuff. So they want their software inside the organisation to be exactly the same, as straightforward and as intelligent and as useful as the stuff they use outside. So that is the way they see themselves and until they reach that level they don't think they'll ever be successful and I think that's right you know if you've got something that's seamless outside the organization and unbelievably clunky inside you're never going to make it no that's right that's right so we've touched a little bit on sort of tech and trends what do you think is coming next more AI yeah much more AI and I know there are lots of issues about AI, that it's not neutral, that it can do some damage, and it's there's some kind of crazy examples. But all of these are learning experiences. Now that we'll fix all of that. But ultimately, the only way we will get to learning in the flow of work is by having intelligent machines monitoring and serving and working with us, kind of acting as our unpaid helpers. So, you know, just as in the 19th century, if I was a a rich gentleman, I would have had a whole host of servants doing stuff for me and making sure everything I needed was at my hand, at my beck and call. Now we have intelligent agents doing exactly the same thing. And it's much more democratic because basically everyone can have it. And I think when it's spread widely through organizations, we'll see massive upticks in productivity and engagement because it drives people crazy is not being able to do stuff and not knowing how to get things fixed or not knowing who to connect or having to do the same thing again and again and make the same mistakes again and again because there's no clarity in how anything works. So, Mm. yeah, I think that's definitely on its way, but it's going to be much more there. Time, yeah. And maybe the interim step is this, like, for example, business adoption software for for big transformations. You know, I'm stuck here. The system knows, oh, you're taking too long here. Pop up. Here's what you do next. Pop up. Here's a video how to do it. That's what business adoption software is doing now. Now, that's not necessarily AI per se, but I guess that could be a, a little view into the window of what is possible with AI, specifically around if you're on a computer, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, what is a computer? Is this a computer? Yes, it is. It's just as powerful a computer. Yeah. So we'll have all these devices that will be kind of like computers that will will interact with us. My watch Mm. interacts with me constantly all through the day. Yes. And mostly usefully. And I think we're connected. I can see your activity still on um, the activity tracker. You know. Every day you close your rings. (laughs) I do. We can even see you from afar. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So um, 
So this, as I said to you at the beginning, that this series was around um, as the LMS did, and predominantly I had vendors on telling me about what they were doing. And um, obviously you're not a technology vendor, but you have written some pretty interesting books. Your latest one was Workplace Learning. Was that your latest one? Yep. That yep, yeah, it's the latest one. It's about learning culture in organisations. Yes. Yeah. So tell us about the three books that you've written. Well, I'm doing this. I've been actually looking at my books for all sorts of reasons. And what I think I've discovered and I hadn't realised this until I started looking at it in more detail, is that the books are a journey. The first book was called The Learning Challenge, and it's basically inside the L&D, inside the learning organisation, telling people how to make it better, what the trends are, what they should be aware of. The second book was on leadership, and that is half out and half in. So it's basically saying leadership development is ineffective for very good reasons related to what's going on outside in the organization. If you're not aware of outside, you can't deal with it inside. The third book, I've walked right outside the L&D and and I'm basically saying, if you don't fix the organization, you ain't going to fix L&D. And getting the cultural thing right is the way that you build the most successful learning operation, not Mm. build the most successful learning operation, and it will fix the culture. It won't. So that's the journey. So it's a journey from inside to inside to outside to outside. And that's quite interesting. Yes. And Gary Ridge, he's to his point, right? The learning moment was the most important thing for WD-40. And what they did with learning was brilliant. So in your latest... Exactly. And he doesn't talk about L&D. He doesn't say, in my learning. He talks about the whole organisation. It's fixing the whole organisation. That's right, yeah, through learning absolutely. moments and not failing. Through learning yeah. moments, yeah, exactly. And that's for everyone, and it's not run by an L&D person. <laughs> <laughs> no, an Aussie, no less. <laughs> yeah, he's an Aussie, yeah, Sydney, Sydney cider. Yeah, that's right. Hopefully he got back in time. <laughs> you made a comment, there was one of the trends in technology was in your latest book. I'll just read it out. This is an area, as the book has shown, of experimentation and investment, but still without clear direction or defined models emerging. And I was quite interested in, in the emerging models that haven't been clearly defined. What were you sort of thinking about there? Well, it's exactly what I said. I think that we're at a point where things will become clearer, but they're not at the moment. There are no clear models. I can't, unless you can tell me that no. there are. No, I agree with you. So it, we're in this very interesting experimental phase, mm. and that's good. You know, out of that will come some directions. But at the mm. moment, it's like a big soup. And I yes. think that COVID has made it more soup-like in a way. <laughs> More, more, more things going on, more attempts to find different directions, look at things in different ways. That's important. Mm. Well, that's a wrap. We lost all sound. So I hope you enjoyed our chat around learning and learning tech with Nigel Payne. If you'd like to get in touch with me to suggest topics or speakers, you can contact me on LinkedIn or Facebook or find the links in the show notes below. Keep on smiling. Keep on smiling.